Hello, everyone. I am Angelo Robles, and this is my inaugural podcast. Not my Angelo Robles's effective family office podcast that's available to the public on Apple, on Spotify. I have well over a hundred episodes, and those are going very, very strong. But to be hearing this, you should be a subscriber to my Angelo Robles newsletter and private podcast. So pardon the lack of creativity. I'm going to call this Angelo Robles's podcast. Nothing overly creative there, but gets to the point. And again, this is different than the one I do more broadly to the public call Angelo Robles's effective family office podcast. Uh, I would say some of these will be solos like today and some I'll feature special guests. I kind of think I could be a little more open, blunt and direct in these private podcasts and keep the information very succinct for those of you that are believers and supporters and paying subscribers to my podcast. And my opinions are, well, they're my opinions. Part of it's based on my years of experience in what I do and the families that I know and what I see and what I hear from them, often billion-dollar families and their family offices. So enhancing the family enterprise and family office. I guess I could throw in the family itself. I mean, you have the family, you have the family enterprise, which, which still may be in existence, but there'll be other entities the family will create. And of course, the family office, even if it's loosely assembled, even if it's only with family members, I would like to see a little more rigor and structure, but you technically kind of have a family office. So what are the things that I always pound home about? And I take this from Colonel Boyd. It's people, number one. Ideas, let's put that number two. And machines. Now, that's a little bit of a old-fashioned term, but I kind of like it. But you get it. Technology. I'm going to add in, as you'll learn in today's podcast, the three is just so convenient. Uh, but really, systems. That could even live beyond the people. Or if you have polymath skills of your talent, if something goes wrong. And hello, I'm recording this during COVID. And it needs to be remote. What happens if someone goes down? So the opportunity of having systems and processes in place and effectively policy and procedures is all very important. So what I'm going to do today is there's three subjects I'm going to relatively lightly cover, but to set a foundation and we'll do deeper dives into these upcoming and other solo podcasts. And I believe these are anchors. These are foundations to be successful in that family that family enterprise, and the family office. 
and really anything that touches the family, a foundation, advisors the family uses. So don't think that this is only for, you know, billion-dollar principals or executives in a single-family office. Oh, that's a part of it. But I cover a lot of things, finance, business, family office, society, health and wellness, <laughs> all those subjects. There's so much to talk about, and effectively, they intertwine. How could they not? So this is really, if you're wanting to be a successful entrepreneur and create an amazing exit and have an opportunity to impact the world in your family office and philanthropic endeavors, this is for you. If you're an advisor and you provide excellence in investment management, in legal accounting, technology, whatever it might be, this is for you. So, you know, you could look at it, and that's probably why I didn't want to call it the word family office in the podcast name, because that's going to be a part of it, but really going to be a part of it. Uh, so, of course, I'm, I love the Tim Ferrisses and Joe Rogans. You know, those are probably what two of the three most famous podcasts, but I, try, although I may take in information from other sources, to have my my own opinions. And my perspective of the families that I know makes mine different than theirs and others. Uh, I think it's important to be upfront. Again, this is a private podcast, and I'm not here to be politically correct. I think it's important to know where I come from. So, for one, I'm always curious. I try to have a beginner's mindset and be open-minded. I'm sure I fail at that sometimes. I am, I guess you would qualify me as a libertarian, probably on the more conservative side on government involvement and tax policy and certain gun and military issues, but I would say progressive on social issues. And, you know, this gets complicated because we're in such challenging times now, very, very sensitive times. And at the end of this podcast, I'll talk a little bit about real estate and how that's going to be very intriguing given COVID and the social unrest that we're going through, really kind of around the world, but certainly here in the U.S. So we have a, a fair amount to cover, but in general, I'd like to keep these more succinct and biting than my more public podcast on effective family office. So to give some context for those of you that are new to me, I'm the founder and chairman of Family Office Association. We're among the longest standing, most tenured and largest of the membership organizations dedicated to among the world's most successful families and their family offices and selectively those that would service that community. I've been doing this a long time. I have hundreds of members and thousands of relationships and families that I know. I love to do research. I love to understand why. I love processes. So I'm so lucky that I get a chance to have learned probably more from my members than they've learned from me. But it's important to have some context if you're not familiar with who I am and kind of my day job as founder and chairman of Family Office Association. But let's kind of 
get to it. So it's really important. And this applies, again, to families and family offices. You probably want to stop problems before they happen. You want to be proactive. You want to be aware. You want to be in the moment, sure. But you want to be aware of what could be around the corner. How liquid are we? How much access do we have remotely? How technology proficient? And what did I say earlier? And you're going to hear this so much from me. It's going to be ingrained in you. It's people, ideas, machines, and system processes. So people, you want to be educated. You want to have diversity of opinion. You don't want to ever get involved in groupthink and anchoring your ideas. And we all fall a little bit into that, but you must jolt yourself out of it. You have a chance to impact your children and your grandchildren. And they may grow up completely disagreeing with your political beliefs and what you value. And I argue that's okay. But you want to put them in position to have a joyful life and to be successful. So, you know, all these things that I'm talking about are going to be important. I've always said that for significant families, they're already rich. You know, how they want to pass on their legacy and their wealth and impact philanthropies are going to be important to them. So really mitigating or hedging risk, fat tail, black swan, and the ultimate. And I'm not saying that I have the answers. And I've spoken to a Forbes 20 family about this, so no one does. And that is what the great Nassim Taleb talks about. Even better than being resilient is what? You know what I'm going to say anti-fragile. That actually means you may like times of chaos and volatility and benefit from it, maybe from personal growth, from strengthening your systems, to being adaptable and opportunistic during times like this, where we're going to have some level of distresses in the system, especially uh, not as much in public companies, apparently, as I thought, but certainly in privates. So, Relative to liquidity and nimbleness and guts and the opportunity to be active, more private investors may create long term. We'll get a little bit to real estate later. Long term, some interesting opportunities. But there's three main areas and I'm not going to go overly deep into any of them because I want to leave you hanging a little bit for upcoming content that we could do a deeper dive in. But let's do the first one. Uh, first of all, I know so many amazing people. I, again, I learn more from them than they learn from me. And not just amazing families and family office executives and leaders in the world of finance, et cetera, uh, but in all fields, really creative, deep thinkers and so many others. So one person I'm a huge fan of is Dr. Peter Atia. Oh my God, this guy is brilliant. What was he? Some kind of I think like a college genius, a McKinsey consultant, if I remember correctly, and a medical doctor and a brilliant medical doctor. And how he thinks through problems, I find amazing. So here's something that I learned from what I've been following from him and how I think it could be applicable in the family office world. Remember what I said about people? 
And this, again, if you don't have a family office, it's okay. This applies to you and your family, your, your businesses, your enterprises, what you're teaching your children and grandchildren. It's all going to be applicable. So there's basically, according to Peter, and I would agree, kind of three kinds of mistakes. And here's where you need to be really, really careful, really careful in your business, your family office, your foundation, if you're an advisor. It, it doesn't matter. It's all going to apply. So there's technical, and let's lump in judgmental mistakes. Okay, we all make them. Here's the thing, because people are going to be the most important and what you want to teach your children. Be above the line. Do the right thing. Own up to a weakness. I don't know. Maybe you were tired. Maybe you didn't give it your full in-the-moment attention. Maybe your skill level needs to be enhanced. But own up to a problem and the mistake. Own up to it immediately and learn from it. If you do those two things, you own up. You don't pass the buck. You don't BCD. That's blame, complain, defend. But you own up and you learn. Now, if you own up and you keep on making the same mistake, then it may be a learning or skill problem, and that could be bad. It may not be bad from a lack of character, just you may not have the capability. But I'm going to make the assumption that your people are, I hope, inherently talented And we're going to get to the concept of teamwork and all that. But I think you have to realize among the mistakes, among the problems, technical, I think you could pretty much source your talent, your people for that, and judgment and testing could help. But again, you want people that own up and learn. They have a beginner's mindset. They don't know everything. This is a damn new normal that we're going through now. What you knew three months ago may be completely different and not be applicable in today's world. I love, uh, he's an amazing, uh, author, uh, Adam Grant, doctor, another doctor, although this one not a medical doctor like Peter, uh, but Dr. Adam Grant, PhD professor in his book, Give and Take. You have to read it. These are the kind of people that you want to hire. And family offices are often small, so one bad apple could really stand out. you got a giant office with a 1,000 people. You may be able to withstand one or two really bad ones. But a small office, it's really, really hard. You want people that are givers, that believe in the concept of team, that believe together we'll learn and share and solve problems. You want people that own up and are willing to learn. Now, I did say three. I didn't talk about the bad one. What he calls normative problems, flaws, mistakes. It's a character issue. You do not own up if you have this problem. And please, if you have kids and grandkids, teach them right. It's your responsibility. This is a problem as they start to get older, it's going to be much more difficult to correct. If they normative issues are in issues of character, they don't own up. Actually, they may cover up. They may lie. They're certainly takers and not givers. 
you can't have this kind of person. It's difficult inside the family, which is why the responsibility of everyone, money does not get rid of your responsibility to raise responsible good stewards. If anything, it may make it more difficult from my experiences. But in general, if you have that kind of person inside your family office, you're fucked. I could swear on these podcasts. I don't feel I could in my effective family office for some reason. It's too public. You can't allow this at all. So could you test for it? Sure. Sometimes you just know you have the right team of people that could tell that this is not right. And you have open dialogue and discussion. But if you have this, it has to go. Now, yeah, we're seeing this in society now with a police officer and his murder of George Floyd. Terrible, terrible thing. Just no empathy, no emotion, had um, lots and lots of other complaints against him. So this has to be nipped in the bud. This is a systemic problem. And you can't allow it to foster and build in your family or your family office at all. You will never be great in in anything if you have just this one anchor, this bad apple dragging you down. It's completely unacceptable. Be above the line. Do the right thing. Spike Lee was right. Do the right thing. Uh, a little story off the top of my head as we're, you know, kind of quarantined here in the New York area, doing a lot of binge watching. Love the Netflix show Ozarks. Wow. I really love it. So I'm going to get this a little off, but it was in the first episode where, and he's a bad guy. He's basically an intermediary with a Mexican drug lord uh, with people that are, uh, what's the word in terms of uh, how they handle money. So it's swept into the system. It's the skipping my mind at the moment. And he gives a story, you know, the so-called bad guy, I guess they're all bad guys. And he has a gun in his hand and he's looking to make a point. Uh, he talks about his dad having a store and he had a clerk, I don't know, a couple of years, I guess he kind of trusted her. And randomly he came up and not knowingly, but discreetly behind her. And she was putting her money into the register, putting her hand into the register and putting money into her pocket. And she was, Oh, oh he, he, he catches her and she blushes according to him and, she begs for mercy. This is the first time it's ever happened. It was just $2. I feel terrible. Don't pay me for today. Here's the money back. And basically, he wants to know what these people that are uh, in his organization, per se, what they think should be done. And the main character at the end of the sequence to that, whose name is Marty, uh, basically says, kind of, you have to fire her. Well, why? That's not showing any empathy or heart because your dad got lucky that he caught her. You know, it's the iceberg. That's the tip of the iceberg. How many times has she done this before? She's not a kid. You know, she's an adult. This is now ingrained in her character. She can't be trusted. So, and I agree at that stage, that is the right choice. If you have someone who's really a kid and they do that, I could argue maybe. If you work on teaching them the right thing in character, but someone who's already an adult, it's really, really hard. Uh, so that's one topic. 
we'll do, I don't hope to get Peter on the show, but his way of thinking and processing thoughts and thinking through problems, asking questions more than having answers is fantastic. If nothing else in this podcast, if you didn't know about Peter Atia, A-T-T-I-A, Dr. Peter Atia, you now do. He has a podcast. Subscribe to it. Uh, you know, again, solving problems before they happen, mitigating risk, black swans, uh, the incredible importance, I think, of being anti-fragile, but it seems like relatively few of us have any solutions as to what that might be, although I do, but we're going to save that for a little bit of a different time. This week on my effective family office, I had on Mark Anson, who ran private investments for the Bass Brothers and now is the CEO of Common Fund. I love the work of Howard Marks, and I already mentioned Nassim Taleb. So I, I think these are three brilliant people. You've heard of Marks and Taleb. You haven't heard of Mark Anson. He's great. So strictly from the investing side, when you're mitigating risk, there's a tax and wealth transfer aspect, a family education aspect, uh, structuring entities. And again, we could go on for hours and hours about that. But from an investing perspective, you know, you're, you're doing things that are going to cost money, meaning it's going to cost you in good times a return in your portfolio. You know, how much? You know, Mark spoke that it's possible to hedge illiquid real estate, private equity, venture capital, uh, understanding what's beta and what's not beta, understanding things like cap M and then using liquid uh, ETFs and indices that potentially match up against that and using option, you know, shorting and put strategies are all things that could be very intriguing. But if it's going to cost, you know, 3% and you're looking at a, let's say a hundred million dollars, you're looking to hedge, that's three million dollars. That's a, that's a lot of money. So what do you get from these illiquid assets is you hope you get what? Three or 400 basis points above a more liquid benchmark. And that sounds like it might be worth it, but you have to understand the illiquidity, uh, whether through a fund or directly. Uh, and also you have the challenge of how about net of fees? Especially again, if I'm going through a fund or even if I have talent internally that I'm hiring to run my capital. Uh, so what truly is going to be the net benefit you're going to get? Again, especially if you're already really, really rich, but you want generational assets where you're not as tied to the volatility short term. It's going to be owned long, long term and things like land, like income producing real estate, you know, farmland, uh, private businesses are, you know, these are all, it, intriguing opportunities to potentially be an investor in, but mitigating and hedging risk, sometimes through cash and liquidity, uh, possibly gold and Bitcoin or other crypto. Uh, I'm probably a little more of a fan of that than Mark and some others. Uh, but certainly the opportunity of using certain indices via ETFs, or if you're heavy in technology, uh, the opportunity of shorting, uh, some indices or specific companies. But again, you're taking some of your profits potentially off the table. But you're also, you would think, uh, mitigating from the downside risk. And again, 
You can listen to that podcast. I'll probably do a transcript of it only for my subscribers here on Angelo Robles's podcast in the next week or two. So you'll even get that before it even goes up publicly on my Apple and Stitcher and all that stuff. So again, I want to give real benefits back to you guys and appreciate your support. But I do want you to always remember that. And you don't have to be a single family office that, you know, (laughs) what is the risk that you're taking? How much or how important is it to you to take some profits off the table to mitigate it? Why do we have auto insurance or homeowners insurance or insurance in general? That's kind of one of the things that insurance does. Life insurance, I, it gives me peace of mind. If something happens, I'm hedging against a specific risk. And for a lot of people, it's going to be incredibly, incredibly important. Well, I'm going to save one of my favorites that I would love to do a solo on for hours and hours. And this one also, I enjoy the work of this investor. I'm going to mess up his last name, so I'll probably spell it. Vitaly Katzenlesson, K-A-T-S-E-N-E-L-S-O-N. Amazing. This guy's brilliant. I got to have him on the podcast. Uh, and I'm not even sure he's, if he's great at investing. He's probably pretty darn good, I would guess. But I love how he writes and his blogs and how he thinks, which are the things that really get me excited. So, you know, he talks about it. I'm going to add some of my own words in here. You know, look at successful and failed. I use that word in parentheses, failed, uh, quotation marks, athletes. They have the same goals, right? They want to make it into the NBA. Or they're on a team, they want to be part of a championship. But goals do not, hello, one more time. Goals do not set us apart. Systems do. Yeah, goals have value in setting a direction. Of course they're important. And this relates a little bit to, you know, process over outcome, to a journey ahead of the destination. It's important to have an end game of the applicable goal that you have. But it's really, really important to understand what system and processes. We're going to talk more about that now. So systems create an environment and a process that helps us achieve our goals. You want to have good habits. You want to eliminate bad habits. And when you do something good, I get up early. I meditate. I clear my mind for what I'm going to do specifically this day. What's the most important task that I have to address while my mind is fresh in the morning? Stack a good habit of eating healthy, of exercising. And now you have a couple of wins. I remember a Navy SEAL talking about just getting up and making your bed properly. It doesn't sound like much but you showed the discipline to do it and it makes you feel good. You accomplished something Then when you go back to your bed, it's not messy. It's clean and fresh. You have certain standards. You have discipline. You want to stack good habits on top of another. Don't just stop with doing one thing. Good do multiple. Now, one of my favorite things to talk about and one of the things I consult about is productivity in family enterprises and mainly the family office and That's a little bit of one of my 
productivity secrets. There's a whole bunch of others. I'm a big fan of the Pomodoro. Uh, certainly 80-20 technique is great. The Eisenhower box, and there certainly are others. Okay, typical Angelo getting a little off track. But let's get back on track. You don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. Now, this is an old saying. I'm going to say it again. You don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. The more you repeat a behavior, good or bad, the more you reinforce the identity associated with that behavior. Okay, this is important. Systems are what you do, Vitaly writes about. Again, systems are what you do. Outcomes are what you get. Systems are what you do. Outcomes are what you get. You want the outcome of your goal, but how are you going to get there? What's your game plan? What's your system? What's your processes? What happens if someone from the team goes down? How diverse is the skill set of your team? Could someone be brought in to supplement from the outside? Does the family need someone to do everything for them? Or my God, you know, could they take some initiative and have the buck stop with them and be responsible for being interactive in this process as well? What's the system? What's the policy and procedures to follow? What happens? Oh, COVID-19, we have to work remotely. What kind of cloud connectivity do we have? What kind of communication protocol? How are we using Slack? How are we keeping standards in terms of what are we responsible for every day? And again, systems are what you do. Outcomes are what you get. You know, this all goes to the heart of what's a great family, a family, a great family enterprise, a great SFO, a great advisor. And this goes into a whole bunch of other things. Uh, your passion leading to purpose, developing goals. But again, what did we say? What's going to be your system and processy to get there? Oh, and by the way, there's three things you could do, right? With something that, uh, challenges you or, or even a specific goal. You could continue on course. You could adapt or you could quit. Sometimes goals change. Sometimes your passions and interests changes. And sometimes quitting is the best thing to do. But hmm, how do you manage that? What also being resilient and gritty, which are incredibly important. If this was easy, everyone would be doing it. I mean, I could write these core principles and probably, I mean, Ray Dalio's done versions of this in probably two pages. Should probably sell it for like a hundred thousand bucks. But, you know, what's the old saying? You know, and you could watch an artist be an artist, but you can't, even after watching them on video, you'll probably get better from where you started, but you're never going to be as good as them. Is this your passion and your purpose? How do you think? How do you educate and articulate? And these are all important aspects of families, family enterprises, and family offices. You know, what is the identity? The identity for you, your family, your family company, your SFO, whatever it may be. The importance of leadership and leadership inspires and drives culture. You know, we didn't talk too much about culture, but that is integrated in the fab work of the things that we're talking about. 
We spoke about how that one bad apple, especially in smaller units like families or smaller family companies or SFOs, just that one could bring everything down. Leadership is the capacity to translate vision into reality. Leadership is the capacity to translate vision into reality. Warren Bennis, by the way, his work is amazing as well. So I go back to what I kind of began with, the incredible importance. I could take a billionaire wealth creator, strip away their money. They're still going to be who they are, have their connectivity and connections, most of them. I'm not going to say all. Most of them on some level could recreate fulfillment and success, however they define it, because people are still the most important. It's people, ideas, I want to call it creativity. It's people, ideas, machines, and me adding systems, if you want to say systems and processes, maybe five things is better than four. It just sounds better. Uh, I will end with a little bit of a bonus topic that will definitely do a deeper dive into the future. Uh, actually, I think on Effective Family Office this week, I have a, in a subtitle, you know, Our City's Dead. So really it comes down to a real estate question that I wanted to pose for my audience here. And you have the, the double whammy of COVID and the social unrest that's occurring. So let's take New York City. I mean, I could take others. LA appears to be even in worse shape relative to the rioting and the challenges they're having. Uh, but let's take New York City. So you got a lot of people, relatively concentrated area, much more so than LA, great mass transit, much better than LA. Uh, and a lot of tourists, but again, the big cities, you know, all have that, including Miami, LA, et cetera. But that's like the perfect recipe for the challenge of COVID-19, uh, which appears to be showing some progress, thankfully. Uh, and right now this is early mid-June. So that's been great. But yeah, could real estate and cities be impacted because there's going to be a new normal? And will companies come back to New York in droves? Or are a lot of companies with white-collar workers realizing that remote work and becoming more digital wasn't so bad? The second biggest expense for most companies, you know, is going to be their, their real estate holdings. And to have a more global workforce uh, and not be tied into a geography and also creating the flexibility for workers so that works both ways Kind of interesting how that may play out. At minimum, hard to argue that places like New York and other cities are going to be challenged at least for a year or two. Let's see how COVID bounces back in the fall when a vaccine comes out. But again, even with those things looking optimistically, just the dynamics of work and how people are living and then you have, of course, the social unrest with rioting. And again, I already said a murder of George Floyd, no doubt about it. That officer deserves to be in jail for the rest of his life. And absolutely, there is some element of systemic racism. We will save that discussion 
uh, and I want to do a lot of things on that subject and how it relates to philanthropy, uh, which I prefer than the government helping out. Again, I'm a libertarian. I'm looking for everyone is absolutely equal and deserves equal opportunity. And families of wealth and resources through their activities and their communities and philanthropy could be active immediately right now and helping to change a lot of the system. And this is part of the problem of having too much government and big government. It becomes a bureaucracy. It gets stale. And you do get elements of it that are complex and difficult and negative, which is what, again, you're starting to see. So this is causing an issue for these big cities uh, and states like New York and California, but New York City specifically, they're high tax, they're heavy regulation, and people, yeah, they're going to Texas and Florida and, uh, you know, other places too, but I'm using that as an example. So at minimum, you would look at, let's stick with New York as being distressed opportunity. Does it get better in three or four years? So are you able to buy and purchase now? Again, maybe it's, it feels like buying into New York in 1979. It's an opportunity to buy low, quote unquote, and sell high. But for sure, I can make the other argument. Not only might this take a long, long time, maybe things are changed forever. Maybe the depth of taxes, of regulation, of rioting, of just as frustrating people companies and people, and they want out. Uh, and is New York ever really going to bounce back? And what happens again with COVID and other viruses and the proximity of people being close together? Now, New York, I would hope it has such great culture and restaurants. And here is an advantage to places like the Bay Area, Boston, uh, even LA. And for sure, New York is wonderful universities, diversity of people. It's exciting. It's invigorating. So I don't think that will just completely fall off the map, but I don't think things are going to be okay and normal in like six months to a year. I think there will be a new normal. Uh, and I do think there could be opportunities long-term to be adaptive as an investor in real estate and private companies. But I do think for the next couple of years, there'll be some challenges and you'll see certainly people going in some other directions. And again, this is taken from my perspective and thought, but from conversations with well over a hundred substantial, successful families, deep thinkers, thought leaders, and not all of them super rich. You know, I talk to uh, from politicians to professors, uh, and I come from a humble background. I have friends in the communities in New York City and L.A. Uh, that are just regular working people. And I don't know if I ever really discussed it, but a little bit of sensitivity I could have to the Floyd issue uh, is that I'm half a minority. I'm half Latin. My dad's Puerto Rican. So, again, these are things that I think I have a unique perspective on. Uh, it does it. It's opinion. I could be right sometimes, wrong some others. Maybe I'm wrong all the time. But I try to weave that in with the amazing people of all types that I talk to and help to impart some information that maybe there's one nugget from what I said today that as a paying subscriber to my podcast, you could take away. Well, I'm going to wrap up. 
So for now, in this inaugural launch of my private Angelo Robles' podcast, I'm keeping it real simple. I don't have the professional announcer or the fancy music, the intro and outtake that I do in my more public Angelo Robles' Effective Family Office podcast. And I love doing that, and it's a lot of fun, but doing something like this where I could get more, you know, I feel like eyeball to eyeball and ideas that I have coming up for solos and for unique interviews, I think you're going to find very valuable for what? I mean, relatively a pretty small amount of money. Doesn't mean everything that I write or transcribe that you have access to or every podcast I give is going to be a, a 10 out of 10 in your opinion. But if you, I spoke about one good idea that you learned from is worth it, but let alone getting this week after week and month after month after month, you're going to get value. Less so from me, more the people that I touch and that I listen to that I'm helping parting this knowledge and connectivity onto you. If for the course of the full 12 months, you just get one thing to learn from, to enhance your family, your enterprise, your family office, how you engage with that community, uh, your own inner self, your, your sense of purpose, your being in the moment, you get one good idea that you act on. And it's my job to present a level of diversity of opinion to shake things up and to be intriguing. But inevitably, you have to listen or read and take action on something, something relative to even if it's investigating more what I'm saying to see if it's going to make sense within the framework of what you do. So enough, everyone. I'm Angelo Robles. Uh, not that it's as applicable for this podcast, but I'm the founder and CEO of Family Office Association. I hope you're doing well. I hope you enjoyed it. Lots more to come from my written content and transcripts of my wonderful, I hope they're wonderful, <laughs> interviews. Uh, many of you saw the Jason Calacanis one that's up there now, possibly the greatest startup investor in the world. And we got really deep for about an hour and 20 minutes and so much more to come. Wonderful, wonderful investors and political figures and deep thinkers and society issues. And we hope you enjoy this. Again, wanted to lay a little bit of the groundwork in this first one. Uh, sometimes they'll be about this length with interview formats, probably a notch longer, and some will be shorter. Uh, and again, it's less the length and more the conciseness of the message and your ability to think about it and potentially take action and how valuable that is to you. On that note, it is enough. Angelo Robles, everyone, I hope you enjoyed it. Have a great day.